road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Hello and welcome to today's recording of the Where's Willie podcast powered by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help engineers miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process. I travel coast to coast in the Americas talking to leaders on all topics relating to manufacturing in every industry. Today, my travels take me to Greenville, South Carolina to talk with Mr. Mark McClure, Vice President of International Plastics. Mark is the Vice President, as I mentioned, with over 36 years experience in the flexible packaging industry. Mark has a vast resume of experience and knowledge from stocking product in the warehouse to overseeing all aspects of the family business. He has played an intricate role in business success at International Plastics by helping plant the vision of the future back in 1998 and seeing it come to fruition. Mark, I want to thank you for being a guest of the Where's Willie podcast. Good morning, Willie, and thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak to you about manufacturing. So let's get started. You know, for all of our listeners, I always like to start uh, each podcast for each guest to kind of just set the foundation and give a little bit of context to what we're going to be talking about. So I already went over your bio, and obviously you've got a lot of insight and experience that we're going to discuss today with some uh, topics that include the COVID-19. But why don't you start, if you would, introduce our listeners, who is International Plastics? International Plastics is a second-generation family business uh, and located and headquartered here in Greenville, South Carolina. But we also not only manufacture, but we import, we source domestically, and we also distribute other products to offer a one-stop shop packaging resource for our customers. And our specialty, of course, is plastic bags, polyethylene, uh, polypropylene, laminated pouches of that sort. But we also offer the other items that would be complementary to plastic packaging. So anything from shipping supplies, boxes, tapes, any of those items, which are not really our bread and butter, but we offer them because our customers ask for them. We service a lot of different industries. We're very, very diverse. We service a lot of industrial, a lot of medical, a lot of retail, a lot of pharmaceutical, a lot of agriculture, a lot of chemicals, I mean, you name it, we're, you know, wherever a plastic bag is used, we're in those industries and we have uh, a good presence and a little bit of all of it. So we're very blessed and thankful to be able to participate on all topics regarding not only manufacturing, but distribution, marketing, sales as well. Awesome. So, and you had mentioned too, you know, both you have manufacturing domestically and then you also have a role with international. Before I get into that question, In terms of specifically who you serve, just so, again, for the listeners, International Plastics, so you guys, you're an OEM, so you'll, I assume, if a customer comes to work with you, let's say in the medical sector, you guys have a full team that would start from design, implementation, concept, and then to production runs and supply, correct? Correct. We have have the whole gamut. I mean, a lot of times we have someone with a, a need or an idea that doesn't already have a product, our team will help 
pick the right materials, suitable resins or film structures that would work for their application, you know, whether it's heat or needs to be frozen or needs to be in a hot environment, needs to be, you know, needs to be have a barrier for food or for oxygen or, or moisture transmission. We work with engineers to develop those engineered films or barrier films for those applications. Majority of our product, quite frankly, though, is very simple poly one layer film or basic needs. So, you know, a lot of people know what they want when they come. That makes it easy. And uh, yes, certainly we quote from what their needs are. We have a uh, on-staff design team and artists here to help proof those. And then also uh, we have access to labs to test films and different things like that nature. But majority of our business is very simple though. It's just polyethylene film. Awesome. So why don't you and I Let's have a little bit of fun, okay? As I mentioned, you are the vice president. So within your role and your experience, and obviously you guys have many years of success, let's pretend we're not gonna talk about COVID-19. So let's go back to December. You finish your fiscal year. As VP, I mentioned you setting the platform and the foundation for your vision and having it come to fruition. In a leadership role at International Plastics, what was, the challenges or the opportunities that you were focused on in running this business in terms of as a manufacturer today, globalization, what were the things that you guys were trying to do before we knew anything about COVID-19? Well, I, let me digress just a moment, if I will. As a, any family business, we had our struggles. My father was a Baptist minister and had a church start up and was not able to provide for a family of five. I'm the youngest of five. So he had been in a role of sales for a candy manufacturer here in Greenville, and they had a packaging division, and he learned about packaging. And uh, he said, I think I could do this. Plastics is a relatively new industry. And uh, he learned the industry and uh, said, hey, I think I can do this on my own. So he started converting polyfilm for a lot of textile bags at the time. Greenville was a hub for textiles. And so that's how the company actually started from my dad's vision. As any other entrepreneurial company, as you know, you really just start with, hey, I need, and you fill this need. You don't really think about, hey, this is gonna be a great company. We're gonna bring in our kids. We're gonna do this. We're gonna grow here. So you really have a startup phase and then you have a, a growth phase. And as the, each kid joined into the business, uh, really was not planned, but more out of necessity of, need help and we need a job and so it worked out but uh, then when you have that opportunity you also have a lot of family dynamics and politics and then each family member wants to contribute and bring their talents but you need to do it in a way that you're not stepping on each other's toes so yeah. we took our father's vision and he had gifted the business to us years ago and we ended up going through some strategic planning with a local university here to help us identify what our true mission and vision values were and really kind of lay out what international plastics is and does and who we serve and and really give us a cohesive strategic plan that we all could get behind. And to me, that was the pivot point of how we grew the company and how we've maintained the culture of the company that we have. And But back to the globalization and, the, and what happened before COVID and what opportunities we've seen. And as my father would say, it's you got to pick your poison. You need to either make it or you need to sell it. It's hard to do both. So he really focused on adding more and complementing more than he could actually manufacture to augment that and bring more revenue opportunities. So 
with that, we're able to look at import opportunities as they came on and a lot of small poly bag and Ziploc bag business went offshore very early because of low labor costs in China and Taiwan and, and various other Asian countries. So with that opportunity, we saw, you know, a little bit of what was happening and say, hey, if you're going to compete in small poly bags and Ziploc bags and other value added bags, you, you need to have some import sources. Yeah. So that's kind of how we got into the import side. But, you know, lead times and supply disruptions, you still need to have a domestic capability. So we've been able to maintain that. We have a partner plant in Houston area, which is by the resin sources and uh, makes it very, very strategically viable for us to maintain a, a domestic manufacturing capability here to augment the international opportunities that we have uh, through importing. So again, similar to us at Coganay. So Coganay, 85 year old global supplier. In December, we're thinking probably about the same things of you. We wanna to continue to grow in markets. So grow deeper, you have market penetration. We're always looking as a manufacturer and I'm sure consistent with you as you got through the fiscal year to say, okay, where can we improve automation to you know, reduce our cost of goods sold? Where can we improve production rate so we can you know, be more profitable in our workflow processes. And then we all get a nice surprise of this Corona virus. All work has stopped, as you know, as a manufacturer. What, I don't wanna talk about the beginning because of course we had shock. I would say, where are you at today in June Three months of having to sit locked up, no production, you know, when we talk about disruption, I mean, of course. So just in the spirit and honor of your father, how have you best come in to lift the spirit of your team and your company to say, all right, here's what we got to work on now. Here's our challenges. What are those? Well, first of all, the safety of our associates and their families is paramount. And, you know, I think we were all in the same boat of a lot of misinformation, a lot of hysteria in the media didn't really help anybody. Uh, we really still don't have all the facts and data to base policies and decisions off of. So that's a little frustrating I'm, I'm way beyond our control and certainly a new item on our risk opportunity matrix for our ISO quality management systems. And so we didn't see that on the horizon. A pandemic wasn't anything you really think about, not in our our lifetime at least. And so definitely has put a wrinkle into a lot of different areas. And so once we figured out that we could navigate in a ongoing capacity, our state didn't have a lockdown. Our state had a phased in that highly suggested it work at home, stay at home type policies, but they allowed essential businesses to stay open. So we were able to stay open the whole time. And quite frankly, we're so busy, we couldn't keep up. I mean, there's customers calling and requesting items that quite frankly, we didn't have a whole lot of following on before. I mean, the existing items such as lab specimen bags, takeout bags, trash bags, any kind of covers for medical equipment, any kind of bags to house up and coming face shield manufacturing or other PPE devices that were being, you know, trying to be manufactured here in the United States, they needed packaging for those. So we saw a, a large increase in a lot of areas and 
a lot of opportunities and a lot of, you know, at the same time, we saw a downturn in our normal business. Sure. So thankfully we were at offset and thankfully we were able to provide a safe work environment for our associates and continue on. And same in the plant in Texas, it was on limited schedule, but they had to, to, to keep rolling because uh, the supplies were needed. And, you know, just like trucks and food service workers and other people still had to keep going. And, and I think everybody did the best they can to stay safe and use common sense. And I believe the American spirit and the American spirit in manufacturing is strong and people want to work. They don't want to take risks, but they also know that they have to continue. And I think that's where we are. I think that's where we're going to continue to be is where, you know, this is a bad, bad, bad virus. It's very, very contagious certainly bad for elderly people and um and mu compromise but for the rest of us you know we have to weigh the risk and it's just a calculated risk that we all have to take just like riding in a car or an airplane it is the price of doing business and so at that point where do i see us in three or four more months i, I don't know but i think there's going to be a lot of ripples that still are in the supply chain of being able to get supplies and what's really probably one of our biggest challenges right now is what are the energy markets you're going to do long-term? I mean, are we, should we hedge on buying more resin right now at low cost? Is there going to be a runaway inflation? Those are items that are very concerning for us. And I would assume for other manufacturers as well. Now I want to talk about, because I think that there's a interesting tool that international plastics provided to, if not thousands of organizations, medical centers, you know, as I watch the news and I see how do they dispose of all the PPE? Well, they need to put it in a bag. You know, can you talk a little bit about your specifically your lab transport bags? Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, like everything, there's a little bit of a knee jerk reaction when there's a crisis. And, you know, there were not enough testing kits, not enough testing laboratories, not enough, you know, supplies for the protection of those healthcare workers. Gloves. While we sell gloves, they're not a big item of ours. All gloves are imported, and we had a hard time getting them. But the Ziploc bags that we provide for lab specimen transport are vital for, you know, protecting the paperwork that goes along with a blood or a urine sample. And uh, a lot of these companies were trying to put together kits. A lot of labs were using them to process the specimens they received from the COVID testing units. And... So we really had a, a really large influx of orders for those. And it, it was very, very challenging because how do you plan your inventory for these things? You just can't. So all of a sudden you have some supply chain issues and most all Ziploc bags that are made in the world are made in Asia, usually Taiwan, China, Thailand, now a little bit in Vietnam. The problem with the COVID hitting right at the end of Chinese New Year, supplies were already limited and or delayed because of the Chinese New Year normal scheduled shutdown of plants. So we really had to hustle and work with our supply chain in Taiwan and China to offset some of those challenges. And we're still feeling those challenges today. And uh, what normally would take eight to 10 weeks is now taking 14 to 18 weeks to get here on a container. So it, those are very big challenges. And the same thing with how much do you purchase for resin is the market in a, you know, we're in a bear market, we're in a slowdown. 
certainly there's going to be pain felt in all markets from the consumer on down to manufacturing. So all these have big considerations on material planning for the rest of the year. And quite frankly, maybe in the next couple of years, obviously this is an election year and some of these things possibly have some political ramifications as we discussed offline before, but at the end of the day, a lot of people are waiting to see what happens in the political arena to base some of these um, purchase decisions as well. And I have to believe too, that, you know, in some of the conversations I'm having with, you know, other leaders and, Again, to your point, no matter what you do, whether it's us at Kogane and we're all feeling the effects of supply chain. And what I you know, share with the listeners is when you're doing your forecasting and optimizing you know, your operational expenditures, trying to balance out what you're expecting to turn, it's one thing to be inaccurate when your lead time on you know, your bill of materials or your raw material stock is as you had said, three to five days or two weeks at best. Now you're talking weeks or months and you compound that with throwing darts at a wall. I think, again, you're not alone in this challenge where I say, you know, for the first time where we've been able to look at, you know, our P&L and see targets maybe where we say, all right, we're going to work on this or this, we first need to get security in the supply chain to know, as you said, lead times for everything. Then once you have that back in place and you know it's gonna be delivered, then you can now go to, all right, sales, what do we have coming in and can we get back on track to our production and, and meeting? Because obviously like with you and with us, you know, we have seven branches around the world. So even in Europe, you know, Kogane Europe is same thing. Customers are saying, hey, you know, we need these parts. And then we're saying, yeah, well, we need this material. I mean, how many do you need? We need, you know, this many as soon as possible. And so I can feel your pain and I really commend your leadership and, you know, staying calm and, you know, I would say, you know, controlling what you can control and, I think that uh, communication is probably the most significant with your suppliers. Are you having, uh, I guess, considerations to look at other options within your supply chain as well, just due to, you know, reaction and what has to be done for you? to? We were definitely looking, you know, tariffs were pretty effective. Yeah. Well, quite frankly, I supported the tariffs. I think our company supports the tariffs. It's just a way to level the playing field for America. We lost a lot of jobs over the last three to four decades. Mm-hmm. And tariffs were a way to incentivize manufacturers, whether they're Chinese companies or whether they're more American companies that had factories in Asia, that, to bring some of that back and, and to level the playing field. So that was a challenge already in our industry from the import side looking for opportunities outside of China. And um, one of the concerns is trying to find diverse suppliers all over the world. And obviously, developing countries with low labor costs are opportunities for products to be bought lower than you can buy them anywhere else. That's just common sense of economics. But at the end of the day, some of these factories that are being built in other countries, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, you name it, are basically Chinese plants or Chinese owners and maybe even state-sponsored through the One Belt, One Road initiative 
to have influence not only economically but politically in all these other countries and so i don't know what that looks like for the future i don't know that there's any advantages i think if we can get china to play fair there's no need to really chase the supply chain around the one thing you do when you do that is you gamble on quality because china's come a long ways in, in improving their quality and the plants that are succeeding have met and have outside uh, Western, you know, quality control inputs and checks and balances and, and all the certifications that would be needed for American business. And so they've done a good job that when they move them to another country, then there's quality issues that may be as, as well a consideration. So yes, we've looked at it. We are continuing to look at it. We monitor it. We try, we do some other things, but you know, it's one of those things that's so fluid. It's just like the tariff and just like COVID and it's just another dynamic to keep you on your toes. Yeah. Now, I don't want to be all doom and gloom. I mean, obviously, this is the reality, as I said, and it was important that, you know, you and I have a little bit of conversation because, again, for the listeners, you know, you are a real leader of a real manufacturing company and you're sharing your leadership and the challenges that you have and how you guys are overcoming it. So let me ask this in terms of customers then. So for any of the listeners that, you know, maybe need help or are looking for the products that you make, are you guys in a holding pattern for new business? Are you accepting new customers? Where are you guys on that? Just again, so for the listeners, if, you know, they want to contact international plastics, what can they expect? Uh, yeah, well, we're a very unique company. We, like I said, we have a diverse customer base and we have a diverse marketing platform as well. And we service anywhere from a mom and pop all the way up to a Fortune 500 co company like Michelin, BMW and companies of that sort. Obviously, the needs are different and the quantities of product are different. We do have an e-com site that helps promote and get our brand out and uh, attract new business. And, you know, knock on wood we've done very well through covid and through the last recession and have grown because of the the wide net that the internet allows you to cast your brand and and so we cast a lot a very very wide net and we get some minnows and we get some whales so we're very blessed to be able to do that and so yeah we've been open for business and we attract uh, about 650 new customers a month and about 650 new requests for quotes and on our web through our web and not to mention a, a lot more that are calling in and and we have a staff of uh live agents ready to help and uh you know that makes us a little more unique than just an e-com company and a lot different than just a manufacturing company most manufacturers are very limited in their sales capacity and their marketing capacity so they have to use marketing manufacturing reps and or salespeople that are on the road trying to look for the the large orders and we're just a little bit unique in that way we don't go to market that way we allow the customer to find us and we try to meet them in the marketplace and most of that happens on google or some type of web search of course and you know somebody will type in i need a custom poly bag or i need a custom printed ziploc bag or i need a logo on a shopping bag or i need a, a laboratory specimen bag or i need an ice bag or i need a trash bag i need you know, whatever they're searching for we hope to be there organically and or through ads. And that's basically how we go to market and uh, how we compete with larger brands and other manufacturers that are in our space. Wonderful. So, you know, again, for all the listeners, you are open for business. You are willing to talk to anybody that 
has a need, which is great news because uh, there's you know some companies that unfortunately aren't able to do that. So you know, kudos to International Plastics for that. I think the next thing I want to ask then is you know you talked about defining you know kind of who you guys are, and of course you wouldn't have had the success that you've had without leveraging your manufacturing capability to be you know, very competitively priced in the market. What would you say then, when we look at your company, International Plastics, based on the foundation of your father and where you're taking this company, what is in the landscape of you know, your competitors, I would say, what is your biggest value proposition? If I'm going to pick, you know, international plastics, why are you able to sit in your office confidently and know why I picked you versus someone else? Well, our mission is very simple, to help customers succeed by providing complete packaging solutions. So we don't succeed unless our customer succeeds. And part of our culture is that we just, we're here to help you. And if we don't help you, then we can't succeed. So to kind of further answer that question is you can't be great at everything they say mm-hmm. you try to be good at everything and you try to just overwhelm them with great service and great you know engagement and you know just being responsive and you know a lot of times people they know what they want they know what the price they're willing to pay for it but they can't you call most manufacturers sometimes you you can't get through to the right person or a decision maker or somebody to give you a price or you might be days before you get a quote and so I think responsiveness, time of responsiveness, and our price. I mean, we have a low price guarantee. We'll meet or beat anybody's price. And in our space in particular, for the commodity products that we sell, especially online, not the custom stuff, but uh, about 60% of our business is custom value added. Somebody wants something printed on a product. 40% of our business is through our website or through our inventory of product that can ship today. And we compete with Uline, which is a $5 billion company. Everybody has a Uline catalog. They're a very, very successful company and a very, very formidable industry leader. They are the largest box supplier. They're probably the largest bag supplier. They're probably the largest tape supplier in the world. And uh, so all that said, we can compete with them all day long and save companies 30, 40, 50% sometimes off of the products that we are specialists in. And it's not that we're trying to undercut you line. We're just trying to add value to our customers and make a fair margin. And at the end of the day, keep you as a loyal customer. So we say, we'll win you with price and keep you with service. That's kind of a motto that we have as well. That's fantastic. And, you know, I really do want to commend because, you know, what, again, your dad build and how you're bringing that vision to fruition. You know, the things that you've done during this pandemic, as I mentioned, to help thousands of organizations, including hospitals, everything from, you know, trash bags to the uh, heavy duty biohazard medical bags to, you know, protecting the temperature indicators that were crucial for those lab kits, drum liners that played a significant role in hospital rooms by, you know, just keeping the staff isolated and better protected from the virus and the patient and, you know, allowing them to, you know, fulfill their processes that they need to take, like, you know, getting prepped for surgery. One of the things I want to ask you, and it's great too, to hear that you stand behind ensuring that your company is communicating in the most responsive, because as a fellow manufacturer myself, I do agree with you that, you know, time is always a challenge and communication is paramount. So it's great to hear that's so important to you as a leader. My next question has to do with 
material. You know, I always, you know, and I'll ask people this too, you know, what is the limiting factor? What is the keystone? What is the, the future in terms of technology? So for example, in our world, the componentry that we make, because we supply components either for an OEM device, everything from like an oxygen concentrator to a respirator, but then also a lot of our parts go into conveyors and assembly processes. Our future is smaller in size, light and weight, because you know, managing operations, if you can reduce the dimensional footprint from the bill material to finished product, you know, 60% in a facility, you're reducing the square footage, you're reducing the power consumption, pneumatic air consumption, lowering costs significantly. So long as you can maintain or improve the production rate, that's the future for my world. So for you, I would bet, I'm guessing, is, tell me if I'm wrong, is chemistry, the future of plastics, recyclability, is that kind of the, that same, I guess, dream window or future? I mean, what would you say is that the future of your industry and specifically your company in terms of technology advancements? Well, I'll try not to ramble, but there's a lot of concepts in what you just asked, and there's a lot of topics to address. One is how can you get better, faster, quicker, more efficient in manufacturing of plastic bags? And that happens in a lot of different ways. Uh, a lot of the equipment, again, uses technologies that your company sells and a lot of robotic type things and a lot of servos and a lot of technology in that that I'm not as very well versed as you are. But at the end of the day, speed of automation through better equipment, more precise equipment, whether that's an extruder with tighter gauge controls, whether it's uh, flexo presses that have a better quality, whether it's uh, converting equipment as bag makers, bag machines that go quicker and use multi-lanes, meaning multiple tubing to go through it at the same time, wider film machines, wider bag machines, wider presses. So a lot of those are through efficiencies there. There's small gains there, small gains there, but still nonetheless, very significant at the, at the bottom line. As far as the future of plastics from a standpoint of biodegradability and eco-friendliness. And those are hot topics for a lot of reasons. Obviously, we're all concerned with doing a better job of protecting our environment. Plastic bags, of course, have gotten a very, very bad name. And I digress just a moment, just in during COVID, a lot of states who had banned plastic bags actually brought, you know, basically temporarily lifted the bans because of the safety of using a plastic bag for takeout in grocery stores versus a reusable canvas or non-woven tote that could introduce um, the virus back into grocery stores or restaurants of such. So we had a huge, huge increase of, from New York City and California and other areas that needed plastic bags that traditionally weren't buying takeout bags for the food. We're very glad to be able to do that. The plastic bags are not the problem. Littering is the problem. And of course, where do you stop when you outlaw something that's beneficial for our society? And no doubt plastics has been very beneficial for our society. And those takeout bags are very beneficial if they're disposed of properly. Well, the problem is you end up on the side of the road with a six pack of beer that somebody drank and they threw it out and it goes for bad PR for the plastic industry. Yeah. So it ends up in a lake or stream or a storm drain. 
we all know those uh, pictures and they've been lobbying hard to, to disband that part of our industry. Mm -hmm. But a lot of technologies happened over the last 30 years. And in the last five to 10 years, there's some really, really exciting momentum here. A lot of this stuff is unproven science and some of it is proven. It just takes a long time to prove it. A polyethylene is basically a carbon item. I mean, it comes from natural gas that's uh, the atom of ethylene is cracked and made into polyethylene. So it comes from the earth. And if you dispose of it in a landfill, it'd go back to earth. And we don't know how long it takes for it to, you know, compress back into biomaterial, but there are additives that are coming out now called PLAs and other types of additives that can help bait and um, excite enzymes and the microbials that are in dirt. If it's in a landfill environment to eat the poly and break it down and then excrete enzymes to help further break down the poly. And there's very, very promising things with that. There's been cornstarch additives. There's been some oxy-degradable additives. It's a whole industry in itself, just the additives. The problem with the additives is it makes your bag not, or makes the polyethylene not recyclable in most cases. So you either have to pick your poison, recycle, which is a great opportunity and great options for a lot of disposal of plastics and then these additives. So I think you'll see a lot more movement to this, certainly in the consumer ends mm -hmm. of how do we have an end of life for polyethylene that's, that's more, you know, at least visible and, and more eco-friendly to those who choose to dispose of them properly. Sure. And so I think you're going to see a lot of movement here. And, and we already have, we promote a product called Enzo, E-N-S-O. And a lot of customers are taking advantage of it. Actually, we have a takeout bag that's made out of it as well. Uh, it's a thank you bag. If you leave it out in the sun and or in a landfill environment, within 120 days, it will break into smaller pieces. And hopefully at that point, it will dissolve even further. No, I have to tell you, it's exciting to hear. You know, I, I want to just, again, commend you on your leadership to not only recognize that, you know, the future being the plastic bags being 100% biodegradable, but you are embracing this. And that is just, again, for the listeners, it's it's really exciting for me to know that, you know, you're a leader in the plastics industry that says, yeah, I want this for everybody we serve and for sustainability. So huge credit to you. To build upon that, is there anything that's happening at International Plastics that you know, you want to take a minute to just share with the listeners. That's really exciting. Maybe for you in your years of being there or something that you guys are excited to share with people that you have in terms of a service or uh, something to offer customers today that maybe you didn't have last year. Well, outside of the Enzo Restore uh, PLA additive, which is becoming more and more affordable, which is a great thing and, and more viable for customers who want to add that into their custom products. One of the items that we're, we've introduced and are really excited about is what they call a laminated pouch that is digitally printed. Digital printing has been around for a little while on different substrates, but it has been a hard nut to crack for plastic packaging unless the film was already white. So digital printing on poly and or laminated structures like this Okay. Anything, anything 
A laminated bag is basically multi-layers of poly, nylon, polyester, some foils, some paper. You can get them in all types of different laminated structures, film structures for whatever your application, whether it be dog treat or beef jerky or fishing lures or you know, snacks or vitamins or supplements or, you know, you name it baked goods, baby food, coffee, tea, anything that you see in the store. It's most commonly seen in a cheese bag, but most stores are going to a stand-up pouch or most consumer items that are in a grocery store or a pet food store, you'll see in a stand-up pouch like this. We have some very, very good suppliers. Most all of these are imported, by the way. There are some in the domestic market that are made, but because of the complexity of the process of manufacturing, for anybody that's not doing millions and millions and millions of product like craft foods, this market has been untouchable for small and medium market packagers and or product producers, food producers. So we've got an opportunity to serve a market that's been underserved by using what, digital printed small run, no plate costs, which was a barrier to entry for this market. So for instance, in your area of the world, there's probably meat processors that would like to have their own beef jerky. They provide a great beef jerky, but they want to market it. Well, they would not have been able to buy this bag unless they're buying, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of pouches. Well, they're not, that's out of their budget. That's out of their range and their scale. So we are able to provide as limited as amount as 250 to 500 pouches in 20 days from the order from a plant in China. And uh, basically the quality is tight and as good as any printing on any rotogravure type of pouch. And we're very excited about offering that because it opens a lot of market for middle market uh, packagers and smaller packagers. All right, so Mark, and that is great. So help a meathead like me, cause you know, I'm a former old has-been football guy. I understand the advantage that you can now supply any OEM with this digital print process that they couldn't do before because as you said they had to have you know ridiculous volume runs what is the advantage then of this digital print so in other words is this typically just related to food packaging no it's all kinds of industries as i mentioned and you can uh, you'll be able to look at it on our website under the laminate packaging sections but stand-up pouches which is kind of a generic term for a bag that has a bottom gusset those are most prevalent on the grocery shelf Number one, they take up less raw resources. Okay. There's primary packaging and secondary packaging. Most items, for instance, toothpaste, yep. comes in the primary package of the tube. Yep. Then they put it in a box as secondary packaging. Well, what you have in cereal, they have a primary bag inside of a box. Well, a lot of the cereals are bypassing the box and saving not only shelf space, not only costs of the packaging, but also transportation costs, and it's a lot nicer package that you can have and it has a resealable top to it. And so you have items that are trail mix or snacks, cereals, even dish detergent or laundry detergent. I mean, the opportunities and the applications are unlimited and pretty much the print and the style and the closures and the, the size and everything is pretty much unlimited to the user's uh, you know, vision of what they want. And it really excites the brand managers for some of these companies that really want to hype up their brand and get a really good you know, shelf face for their brand. And it's really a neat to see what people are doing. I mean, there's people that are using, you know, unlimited colors because it's not limited to 
just CYMK. Uh, obviously, they you have a white backup that can print on the film, so you don't you're not limited to white film anymore. You can put a window on the item. You could laminate it to foil. You basically can pretty much do anything you want. And some of the neater ones I've seen lately, they have a dull or a matte finish, and then they'll laminate where they want their brand or their logo to pop off to show. So it's really neat stuff happening, and uh, very excited to be part of that. There's a there is some domestic opportunities for this, but they're very expensive. So we're glad to be able to compete with the, not only internationally and domestically as well. So that is exciting because the fact that international plastics could potentially reduce the cost of goods sold for an OEM because they could reduce the amount of packaging that's required in the examples that you said, that's phenomenal. So now I do understand why there's so much excitement with this new service that you guys are providing. Now, as far as, again, any of the listeners, maybe you are an OEM and you want to learn more information about you know, all the products and solutions that you can provide with you and your team, what is the best way for the listeners to reach out and learn more about your company? Well, you can head to our website, of course. It's Interplast, I-N-T-E-R-P-L-A-S.com. That's short for International Plastics. You can also reach us at internationalplastics.com. It'll reroute to that domain. And uh, it has our phone numbers, has our emails. It has, uh, you can call and get a live agent and you can speak to someone about your packaging needs. And uh, I promise you this, you'll, you'll have undivided attention and you'll have quick and responsive service. And if they don't know the answer to your question, they'll find it for you quickly and uh, provide you with a quote. And, or if you want to order online, you obviously can do that as well. We have about four or 5,000 items online. Actually, it might be more like six now, 6,000 SKUs online. And that represents about 1,100 different categories of items that we sell. And uh, we'd love to earn your business. And like we said, we'll win you with price and keep you with service. Mark, I want to thank you so much for your time, sharing a little bit about international plastics, all the things that you guys have been going through as a manufacturer through this, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, you shared, you know, openly about the challenges that you are actively addressing. I want to thank you for disclosing to me just some of the exciting things that you guys have done for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of organizations, including hospitals with the, you know, plastic bags that you guys produce. So that is just, you know, it's very exciting to hear that you've been able to help so many people over these months and you haven't closed your doors. And I do appreciate you sharing with me, you know, this new technology that I think can bring a lot of value to any OEM that wants to, you know, reduce their packaging costs. They may have some options with international plastics. So uh, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining me on my journey as I travel coast to coast. You just heard Mark McClure, Vice President of International Plastics. Awesome share that you did with us. So I invite all the listeners continue to stay with me as I travel coast to coast through the Americas talking to amazing manufacturers like International Plastics, as I did today. Now, if you have a story that you want to share about you and your company, please go to whereswilliepodcast.com and submit and complete your guest form, and my producer will get in touch with you and get you scheduled to be on the Where's Willie podcast. Thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie show. For more information on future shows, please visit whereswilliepodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.